Welcome to episode 230 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Sheen and we are amateur astronomers who love looking up in the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. And this week we're going to have a guest. We have Blake Nankara on. He's the RASC Observing Chair for Canada. And uh, just before we hop into that though, we have a Patreon supporter to thank uh, Shane. I'll let you take it away. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, and not thank me, you. Chris. We have a Chris <laughs> Patreon supporter. Sorry, I should have made that more clear. We we have to change your name, I think, because we I have know. a lot of Chris's that email us, and it gets confusing. So anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, the new Patreon supporter is uh, is also named Chris. So thank you for that, um, and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We do appreciate your support. It helps us with some of the costs that we have associated to the show, and just uh, allows us to keep doing what we do. So thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. We have uh, costs associated, like Shane was saying, and uh, yeah, appreciate uh, that support. Now on to the show. So today we have a uh, special guest joining us, um, uh, Blake Narencaro. He's the uh, National Observing Chair for the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, and he's going to talk uh, some about double stars. We're going to talk about a couple other things first, because he's uh, you know a pretty uh, dyed-in-the-wool amateur astronomer, and, and uh, just as we were leading up to the show, he was talking about uh, moving and, and one of the uh, motivations for his, uh, for his, uh, you know, somewhat recent move is that he wanted to be somewhat closer to, uh, to the club observatory there uh, where he lives in Ontario. Uh, Blake is the author or the columnist for the binary universe, which is in the uh, journal of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. And that's actually free at rasc.ca. You can always go on there and go to journal and you can download the latest edition and, uh, and see uh, see Blake's writings about uh, double stars and, and other astronomy. Um, he also has a blog called blog.lumpydarkness.com. Uh, Blake is a lifelong science, astronomy, and space flight enthusiast. He bought his first telescope in 1990 and immediately took it on camping trips. Blake is just back from a stint as the astronomer in residence at Killarney Park. So uh, thanks for coming on the show, Blake. Thanks for having me. Honored to be here with you too. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, we're we're recording this, which does seem a little bit strange because you and I uh, do chat periodically on a variety of astronomy topics. So uh, I guess I'll have to keep that in mind for, for the recording purposes. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so Blake and I have actually worked on several projects over the years together, and uh, one of the projects that uh, that you kind of started working on uh, when when I was at the helm of the uh, observing committee um, was was the double star uh, project, and and we'll get to that here in a moment. But uh, yeah, I was just curious. Um, recently, you were you were doing some astronomy adventures as the astronomer in residence at Kalani Park. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience uh, as the astronomer in residence at the park? Sure. Uh, oh. Uh, what's not to love about something like this? Uh, I was thinking about those commercials. It's one of the credit card companies, right? The price of this object, price of this object. Yeah. Uh, uh, another result, priceless. So a stunning provincial park and a dark sky preserve, a, a RASC recognized dark sky preserve, no less. Two not one, two observatory domes with three telescopes, uh, eyepieces, cameras, accessories, computers, and they give me the keys to all that. <laughs> <laughs> they so, trust you, eh? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so the this was a a cooperative program. It, it was an undertaking by, or is an undertaking by, the Allen I. Carswell Observatory at York University in Toronto and the Killarney Provincial Park Observatory. The you know most provincial parks or all provincial parks they do nature kind of programs and and stuff like that they they call these the discovery programs and that's the their normal the parks educational and public outreach sort of activities and you can do things in the day like uh, identify flora and fauna and things like that but because the the Killarney Park has this observatory they also want to do astronomy education and public outreach and the park staff know how to use that equipment and so on but they this year they wanted to really have an expert there sort of through the summer mm. so again the the York Observatory and the Killarney Park and other people had discussions and launched this idea of an astronomer in residence program. So mm -hmm. they uh, open that up. It's still open. People can apply for, for this. And if they qualify, you, you go up, you participate in two or three educational uh, uh, events each week. And then you have that equipment at your disposal to use to share the skies, share information about astronomy, maybe do some live streams, things like that. So I, I went up in May from May 9th to May 29th. I was the first one up there. So uh, uh, trailblazing or maybe, frankly, a guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, so, but it was good. We, you know, we sorted out a lot, a lot of uh, things, and and we're off to a good start. And and there'll be another uh, astronomer in residence going up in mid June, and hopefully various people through the season till till September October. Cool. And so, Kalani uh, Provincial Park. It's just southwest by by a, a, a good little drive from Sudbury, eh? Right. It's about an hour away. Yeah, so that's depends, not too bad. Depends how heavy your foot is, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I got to ask, so I know that uh, Manitoulin Island is uh, is a dark sky preserve. Um, there's the dark sky uh, eco park. Uh, there are Gordon's Park. So is it part of that same thing or is it a separate dark sky preserve all on its own? Separate as far as I know. Uh, okay. And an interesting thing about that area geographically is that Killarney Park is part of the Manitoulin region or uh, uh, like a county or municipality. Mm -hmm. uh, but but yeah, they're separate. Uh, obviously, you'd, you'd need to hop on your boat in the summer or your snow machine in the winter to get to and from the mainland and the Manitoulin Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, when when I left Ontario, I went up through the Bruce, which is a dark sky preserve, and uh, and then you can go across to Manitoulin Island on the ferry, right? And then we we went across there, and then the, one could do a really interesting tour if if they they so wish. Now you could you could go up to the Bruce, 
You could do some astronomy up there. You could take the ferry across, beautiful ferry ride, nice smooth uh, sailing on those waters. And, uh, and then Manitoulin Island has Gordon's Park. And then uh, you, could, you could finish it off at, at Killarney Park. And then you could go for a tour of the uh, nickel mine in Sudbury when you're all done to see a crater impact. You could also <laughs> go to the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory. That's right. And that's there's, right. there's the Science Center up there too. Yeah, that's right. It's Science also north. Home. And it's also home to Alan Ward, who's uh, a widely known Canadian amateur astronomer who does really, um, really nice mirror coatings here for, yeah. for friends of his in Ontario. I, I didn't have enough time to to connect with him, but uh, but if I if I go back this summer, I'll I'll figure out what his favorite uh, uh, beverage is and take a six pack up yeah. and uh, and visit his uh, his workshop and see how he does his mirror recodings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love to host him here in, in Regina because he actually comes to Regina periodically because he's a, he's a very um, enthusiastic CFL fan. So he does come over for the games. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he, it's just, that's his other passion. Very cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for telling us about that. So what kind of a, what was your, what was your best astronomical experience while you were at uh, Killarney? The best. There, what, there were what did lots? you look at? What was your yeah. favorite thing to look at? Because you would have early morning Milky Way views. You'd have yeah. Leo Galaxy and Virgo Galaxies up there. Boy, like what a great time of year to be in a super yeah. dark spot. I, I did kind of goof, though, in that the first two weeks, bright moon. Basically, the, the full moon. Now, that mm-hmm. said, on the 15th, we were able to observe an image the total lunar eclipse. Oh wow! Nice. And very nice. as you may know, that was that was a deep eclipse. Yeah. Uh, very colorful. Yeah. And, and we were kind of um, perfectly placed. Not yeah, not really sure about the weather conditions, but the skies cleared up for us. Yeah. And and meanwhile, down in Toronto at the university, York was clouded over. But we were streaming our live views from the park down to Toronto, so they were they were showing our our views there to their audience, and it worked out really well. And that that was that was fantastic. Um, I had I, I've experienced those before, but it was quite stunning how dark the sky became because of how deep that lunar eclipse was mm-hmm. and then we're in you know this very dark condition so uh, lots of stars showed up and we could start to see the milky way rising and and stuff like that uh and we got we got some really good uh still images mm-hmm. uh, of the moon so i i was pretty happy with that we were all pretty chuffed when when we got clear skies there so so that was great uh I also wanted to image the the supernova 2022 HRS in uh, NGC 4647, if I've got okay. it right, which is right beside Messier 60. Okay. Uh, so uh, one of the clear nights that I had, I when there wasn't as much moon, I was able to do that. Um, very bright supernova, super, super bright, magnitude 12 range. Nice. So, so that was good. And, and I had my, 
my home built barn door tracker and I wanted to do some Milky Way track shots uh, it, from again a dark sky preserve so that I was really happy with uh, even though I had a bunch of technical problems I was able to get some nice milk, Milky Way shots nice so how, Although, how sorry yeah. go ahead yeah just those were some of the highlights off the top of my head yeah just just wondering how dark is it at Killarney on a on sort of a limiting visual magnitude scale or portal scale uh, one of the nights when it, the moon wasn't up, uh, I sort of laid laid down on the deck and I just sort of took in the whole sky for a while, and it was very impressive, uh, very 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 dark. Uh, I've been to a few dark places like that, Mew Lake in Algonquin Park, um, the uh, Merritt Reserve down in the U.S. Uh, so so quite good. Um, and I just what I expected it to to be, uh, but I thought, okay, in a couple of days when it's clear, I'll do this again, and I'll have my chart with me, and I'll do a proper naked eye limiting magnitude NL NELM test, mm -hmm. and I usually use the little dipper to do that, and I just stare at it and see the faintest stars that I can see, and compare that to my charts. I never mm -hmm. had a chance to do that officially. But uh, just quick glances at the sky, I'm quite sure I was seeing magnitude five and a half, six stars. Nice. Uh, I, I've been able to go deeper when I've really sort of concentrated and worked at it and got mm -hmm. deeply dark adapted. Yep. Uh, but I, I just didn't have a time to do a full proper run of that. But I, it might be one of the top five darkest places that I've been. Yeah. Nice. Well, very good. Excellent. Well, it looks like I was looking really quick online and it looks like there's uh, a bit of a, I see the two domes that look like those skyship pods and yep. they have like uh, accessibility and, and, you know, really nice uh, entryways to them for, for anybody to sort of walk up and, and take, take a look through the telescopes. Um, what telescopes are in there? Are they like 12 inch McCassa greens or what are they in there? In the first dome that they acquired, uh, which which are the official sky shed pods by Wayne Parker. The the uh, original one they have a Mead ten inch SCT classic scope mm -hmm. uh, on uh, Losmandy G eleven mount with uh, tracking motors, uh, and that one's available to all the park visitors to to use the in, there's instructions writ, written up somebody can go to the office get the keys get the instructions oh wow they, they can use that scope so if somebody like flew in there they if they were looking to do some imaging with a piece of equipment like that they could just go there and use that equipment if yeah. they booked it i guess yeah yeah wow, cool well, that's a great thing to have. That's, that's awesome. Like there's not, well, I don't know of too many parks uh, around here anyway, that provide, you know, that level of gear just to anybody who would like to use it. So that's a, that's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I, I use that scope primarily for solar because the, we, we have a Kendrick, uh, a film visual solar filter for it, full aperture. So we did some of the, uh, outreach programming that we did was solar observing in the daytime we had two runs of that so uh people came by in the day and and we took in the sun in uh, full spectrum white light over in the second dome 
there's a Mead ACF, so Advanced co- Coma. I forget what it stands for. A- ACF, Advanced. The correction, anyway. Uh, uh, so the oh, ACF good. 16 LX 200 on a fork mount. Oh wow! It's a, it's a beast. It's huge. That's massive. That, that scope and piggybacked on that is a mead 130 mil uh refractor Mm. that's some serious aperture there (laughs) yeah so and they've got a boatload of cameras there uh canon 6d mark ii they have uh an asi i think a 224 mc and a malincam so the various cameras can be hooked up to any or all of those rigs. When we were doing the lunar eclipse, I initially targeted the moon with the the 16 inch, got got us uh, tracking that and uh, pointing, and then I flipped the the DSLR over to the refractor to get a nice wide field view. So. Nice. Uh, uh, that's the setup in in that uh, environment in that second dome, the two scopes there. So yeah, again, quite nice. Cool. Did you have many public out? Did you do like uh, nighttime star parties as well? And did many people come out if they did? We had three programs generally planned each week. And we tried to do a tour of the night sky, but uh, in May you don't get that many <laughs> clear skies, unfortunately. So, mm-hmm. two two of my planned tour of the night sky events were clouded out. Oh, so I, I just ran a presentation. The okay. first first time I just had some stock images, things I'd ripped off from the internet. Uh, the second time I did that presentation, now I had our supernova photo and our oh, eclipse cool. photo and so on. So, so we showed some recent images captured. Uh, the third time I did it, we were clear. So we were able to show various objects. We went to the Owl Nebula, okay. able to get full sort of green color uh, oh, wow. of it. We, we went to um, Messier 53. Uh, so that that resolved quite nicely, nice globular cluster. And then we ended up on the black eye galaxy and that came in very nicely as well. Nice. So, so that, that last one, I was able to do a full proper nighttime tour with live views on the telescope. And, and we had, uh, had my green laser pointer going. So I was showing people constellations and, and stars and, and I still talked about a bunch of other sort of targets that people could see and, and enjoy. We gave out information sheets, the evening sky map. So people had, had something to take away from that too. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's really awesome. Well, that sounds like a, like a great time. Well, uh, before I move on to double stars, do you have any, any other thoughts on that experience you, you'd like to share? I think it's a, a great program. Uh, I think it's clever that they came up with this idea that getting uh, uh, an astronomer up there and, and in, you know, it's people like you and I, amateur astronomers going up there and just share, sharing our, our passion and stuff. I, I really like that. It takes some of the, the load off of the park staff mm-hmm. uh, so that there, there's somebody there to, 
uh, to do the program and fly all the equipment and scopes and, and stuff like that. At the same time, we we can educate and help the staff so that if somebody's not there or, mm-hmm. or there's lots going on on a particular evening, they're they're getting more and more comfortable with the equipment as well. So nice. it's a great it's a great program. Again, if there are listeners in the Ontario area or listeners uh, in the Sudbury area or um, points north and so on, they they can apply to this program and help out. Perfect. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, now we'll kind of get on to the main feature. That was uh, I was really excited to hear about that. Um, you know, and certainly would love to get back down in that area and, uh, and maybe visit the park at some point. Um, but when when I was the National Observing Chair, um, you had sent me an email about uh, a double star program. And uh, um, Blake, probably Shane is going to do a lot more of the talking now, but but maybe uh, you could just give us uh, an, an introduction to the double star program that, uh, that you created. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll just kind of take it from there. Sure. Uh, the, the RASC observing committee has offered many observing programs over the years, uh, started out, you know, very humbly with a Messier program and, and then the, the finest new general catalog objects. And, and over the years, uh, more and more programs were added. Uh, uh, but I, I noticed that there was a bit of a gap that we weren't talking about double stars in a more sort of serious way. The Explore the Universe program, which is open to the public, anybody can do, uh, it's a good sampler. It's a cornucopia of celestial objects, the the planets uh, going through all the moon phases, bright stars, constellations, and a a few double stars and a few deep sky objects. And uh, there's an optional section with a couple of variable stars as well. I, I noticed that be- before we had our program that our friends to the South, the Astronomical League, they have three, count them three, <laughs> double star observing programs, two using binoculars, the basic and the advanced, and then they then they have a telescopic one. So it sort of occurred to me, hey, how come we're not doing that? Uh, now I'm I'm biased. I, I love double stars. Uh, I, I love showing them at uh, uh, outreach events and star parties. It's low hanging fruit. Uh, they're they're super fun. Uh, they generate lots of discussion and interest and stuff like that. But I, I wanted to help people. Uh, have a, a, a program similar to the astronomical e program where they could they could get certified after a good after viewing a good number of targets. So, so I, I'm very proud of the program. It's uh, it's been running for over a year now, and more and more people are pursuing it and doing it. So it's uh, looks like it's it's working out pretty well. Yeah. I think one of the people who's pursuing that program is, is joining us today. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was super excited when I saw that, uh, program launched, um, similar to you, Blake, I, I kind of always, well, I shouldn't say always, I have not always been into double stars, but I would say 
four or five years ago, I really wanted to expand the observing I did in my backyard, my light polluted backyard. Yeah. And, um, double stars was the natural choice. I had not really, you know, delved too far into that realm of observing. So I, I began and, and very quickly, it like really started to enjoy it. You know, the different star colors and, you know, the, uh, different alignments, it, it was, it, it's very enjoyable. Um, but Similarly, I, I kind of questioned why we didn't have a national observing program. Uh, so I started to use some other lists, you know, that are on the internet to guide some of my double star observing. So when you uh, launched this list, uh, yeah, I gravitated to it right away. Um, I'm not super, I wouldn't say I'm super aggressive in pursuing the list. I think I'm about one third of the way through um, and we'll continue to observe it, but I, so far, I think it's just a, a fantastic list. Um, you know, all of the doubles that I've looked at have been, uh, quite nice. And, um, you know, the list is very accessible. Uh, like I think the description, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it it's designed or, or, you know, smaller apertures can split many or all of the doubles that are on the list, which is, uh, you know, a fantastic thing too. So that makes it a little, like I say, a little more accessible to, to all astronomers. It's, it's really good hearing you say all those things because those were a lot of the, the marks that I wanted to hit. D double stars are kind of light pollution killers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, you know, stars in general are going to punch through pretty significant light pollution. So I like the idea that this is a program that's accessible to people kind of anywhere, anytime. So I, I'm a generalist. I like looking at everything. Don't get me wrong. I like deep sky objects and comets and stuff like that. But if the moon's around, you know, for a lot of times I was going, well, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, here's a clear night. It's another clear night and a, it's a bright moon. Great. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> You can tell I'm not a big fan of the moon. Uh, <laughs> Dave, we're going to get hate mail from Dave Chapman again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Who made the Explore the Moon program? Explore right? the Moon and, program. So, yeah. So, yeah not, and on the okay. next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, it, it just giving people something to do when the conditions are not ideal for whatever reason. Lots of people trapped in their city light dome lots of people don't in the big cities aren't buying cars so it's a big deal for them to get out to a dark sky site so but this gives them sort of something to do that that there's some moonlight out or or uh, some light pollution you, you can you can observe anytime it's clear yeah ideally you want decent seeing but I don't sit around and wait for that either. Uh, I'll I'll just try to split my my doubles when, whenever I'm out. So so yeah, that's uh, it's great to hear that that you're tackling that. And I'm also glad to hear that you're not super aggressive through it. Not nobody should be doing that ideally in in observing certificate programs. Mm -hmm. Slow slow down. Mm -hmm. Take your time, soak in those photons, uh, uh, absorb more, have a better look, do maybe do a sketch, yeah, add, yeah. add some more details into your logbook. So yeah, that that's all good. Great to hear. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, two things I think surprised Chris and I, and, and Chris, correct me if I'm speaking incorrectly here, but with this podcast, two things that jumped out at us were people's interest in observing asteroids. We, you know, in the minor yeah. planets, we weren't really expecting that, mm -hmm. but also double stars. Um, you know, yeah. we get a lot of email uh, of, of people submitting observing reports. And I don't know, Chris, I would say close to half, if not, maybe even more than that, yep. uh, are, are full of double star observations. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is like you said, Blake, you know, people live in large cities and some don't even own a vehicle to get away from the city. So this is, you know, one of the, uh, objects that they're able to successfully observe, but it's, it's extremely popular far more than I ever knew until we started doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, I think it just highlights, um, you know, how great to have, how great it is to have this list to guide astronomers. Yay. Um, <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe we should just level set a little bit too, because, you know, we're at episode two thirty, and, and, um, not everybody's listened from the very beginning and may not even know what a double star is. So what are they? Double stars to me are two stars that wait, wait, stop. I got to back up. Uh, <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> double, double, double star. We got to do a definition thing here. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Definition no term terminology yep. Yep. here. Uh, the, there's a connotation, strong connotation, that double means two. Mm -hmm. I use the term double star in a very loose way. I think a lot of double star aficionados work the same way. If if I phoned you up, Shane, mm -hmm. and said, hey, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to view some double stars, multi-star systems, some triples, some quadruples, some... <laughs> Vegan, vegan, dub a nipple uh, stars. Uh, you go. Who, who is this? Who, who's calling me? Uh, it, the all the types or classes of, uh, you know, multi-star systems. It, it's kind of wild. Um, you, I'm sure you've seen many a triple and a quadruple system and so on. And and we know of lots of famous ones like the double double, in Lyra. So, so double has this connotation that it's two stars only, but, mm -hmm. but I use that term very loosely to refer to two star systems, uh, three, four, five star systems. Some double star systems have 15 or 20 members. Mm -hmm. So everybody okay with that? I'm hundred percent, hundred percent. And just a side note to that. Um, I started off calling them double stars all of the time. And then as I learned more, I thought, Ooh, maybe I should start calling this multiple star observing, multiple star system observing. And when I had mentioned that to other astronomers, they looked at me like I had six heads, you know, sprouting yeah. out from my neck because it it's was a like, mouthful. what are you observing? Yeah. <laughs> so like you look at stars, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so what's a double star system? Uh, it, it could be two stars. So to, to me, a double star is anytime you're looking through uh, uh, an instrument, be it binoculars or a telescope, and of course we can have different magnifications then, and you get two, three, four, whatever stars attractively close together, com compellingly close together, where you just, if you were sweeping the field, panning, 
or or you're star hopping, you you'd kind of hit the brakes and go, "Whoa, what's that?" If you see two stars really close together, it just it immediately it's intriguing. You're going, "Are are they related? Uh, are they I- involved with one another? What what's going on?" So now that that's greatly affected by magnification. I think a a beginner mistake that a lot of people make with a telescope is they put in a super duper high power eyepiece. This is not strictly something done with double stars. So we, you know, we often tell people when getting started, whoa, whoa, back, back up, slow down, put in a low power eyepiece and, and get a wide field view and then later zoom, zoom in or increase the magnification. So, so I like that about double stars that if you start with a low power eyepiece, initially you might go, uh, you're on a particular target, you might say, uh, I only see one star. And then maybe you bump up to your next magnification in the telescope. You go, hold the phone. That's not <laughs> one star, that's two. A- and you start to get the two stars moving apart with the magnification or a faint star that was extremely close to a bright star you, you didn't initially see, maybe lost in the glare. But to me, double stars are just these compellingly close stars, close to one another. And as you've noted, they're in all kinds of different patterns and arrangements, and you get colors. And that's another cool thing about double stars. That's real color. That's not an an enhanced, fully saturated photo that you're looking at. You're looking through an ocular and you see different colors and stars. That's real stuff. You're, you're seeing the temperature of those stars. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the comment you made about, um, you know, like uh, a double star system is intriguing. And, you know, if you're going through a star field, it really catches your attention. Um, I think we should also put a warning on this episode that if you start to observe double stars and you really enjoy it, it may impact your deep sky observing uh uh, success. And where I'm going with that is <laughs> there's many times I'm searching for, you know, pick a, a deep sky object. And as I'm star hopping, I get distracted by the double stars <laughs> as I'm moving along. And then I stop and think, or try to understand, well, Hey, which double star did I just see? And so I'm now <laughs> in the charts. And then, you know, before I know it, it you know, a lot of time has passed and I'm not even near what I'm looking for because <laughs> there's so many up there. Um, it's just, uh, and, and some nights even like panning through some of the, like Malat 111 is, is, uh, you know, a, a, my most recent example, probably where I just was trying to see how many double stars I could see within that star cloud. And, and, uh, anyway, so it, it can become a little bit of a uh, impact to your, your deep sky observing. I think if you, if you really get into this, yeah. That, that's where it, it, you sort of pri- prioritize by maybe sky conditions. When it's mm. a new moon and, and the transparency is good, uh, I, I'll uh, lower the double star target priorities. I'll, mm. I'll really try to focus on those. But my log notes are filled with things like what you're describing. Yeah. Uh, viewing galaxy XYZ, 
uh, and right beside it, there's a cool double star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I like your comment too about the magnification aspect. Um, the the one that really stands out for me in my observations was the double double in Lyra. Um, I remember the first time I I was looking at it. It was with a, a 120 millimeter refractor, and I was able to frame you know the the two stars, and I thought, oh kind of neat. Um, not as impressive as what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed the one pair, I can't remember which one wasn't quite circular. It was almost ovalish or looking, you know, starting to, um, have that figure eight, uh, appearance and then increasing the magnification. It just magically appeared. Now there's four stars and it was, uh, that, that's a neat experience anyway, to, to go through that, especially like even with a zoom eyepiece to be able to quickly increase that magnification and, and achieve the split is, is a, a lot of fun. That's one of the aspects I enjoy of the, the double star observing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what kind of, um, you alluded, I think a little bit to it, but are there different kinds of doubles, um, that intrigue you or, or that are out there to, um, sort of guide the double star observing, uh, people that are interested. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll have to get out my, my stellar textbook here. <laughs> Let me just flip to the appropriate chapter. There are formal classes of double stars, but I, I think, a a quick way that we can divide them is that there are optical double stars. And what we mean by optical is that you've got two stars that appear very close together, but they're not. They appear close together by chance alignment. So imagine that you're looking at two stars, again, compellingly close together, given your magnification. And one's a bright yellow star and another one's a, a dim yellow star. Maybe that bright yellow star is a thousand light years away from our solar system, from the Earth. And the dim yellow star, 2,000 light years away. We're talking about stars that are in different parts of the galaxy. So these stars are very far away. They don't have anything to do with one another. Not, not, in a, not in a significant way. Yes, obviously, everything's interacting and everything's connected and there's gravity everywhere. But if, if you're getting into hundreds or thousands of light years, we're just talking about stars that are orbiting around the, in the Milky Way galaxy, right? Mm -hmm. so, so you can get two stars that look like they're close together, but they're just lined up uh, perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, so they appear almost on top of one another. So that's yeah. op optical. I, the, I would say Elberio is maybe one of the more popular examples of, of that category of uh, optical alignment. It, yeah, I think the prevailing evidence shows that Elberio is not a, a, a system where those two stars are related mm -hmm. to one another. I think lots of people would would wish that, but uh, there there's plenty of good examples where, where they are quite close together, but Alberio, fantastic double star mm -hmm. system in the summertime is, um, uh, appears to be stars that are very far apart. Uh, some double star observers will tell you, don't bother looking at those that are not important. They're not significant in any way. Um, they're not really double stars. 
So uh, they're a bit persnickety about that. I don't but like I, that attitude. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I, I go, that that's a pretty darn beautiful pair of stars. Yeah. Who doesn't yeah. like Alberio? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you get these fantastic colors. Yeah, it's like the people that throw out the asterisms because they ended up not being clusters. Yeah. Why do that? We're not yeah. doing signs here. So for the most part. So I'm not picky. Now, now do, we got to frame that a little bit, right? If mm-hmm. if somebody puts a, a telescope and they f- uh, uh, up in the sky and they see a double star, they might be wondering, is it optical or is it physical? You have no way of knowing that L- just looking at it yourself. So you, you'd have to do some research. You'd have to look it up. Uh, you, the official source, you would go there. That's the Washington Double Star Database. And you, you could maybe determine or find out some information from that. But I, I don't care. I'm not picky. Uh, uh, <laughs> again, two stars that look close together and, and often you, you get these different colors and different brightnesses when they're optical. That That's pretty cool. I like looking at those. Oh, yeah. 100%. The I, other... I have a- yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, Chris, go ahead. I, I, yeah, I was just going to ask a couple of quick questions if I can. So, and I should know the answer to this. First one's very simple, is because I just can't recall. Like, how many how many double stars or or multiple stars or sets are in the uh, are in the RISC double star observing list for people to uh, browse? To be clear, there are two lists in okay. the RASC Observers Handbook. Is that what you're referring to? Well, the list that you've uh, created for the certificate oh, program. Oh, the certificate program. My mistake. Yeah. Uh, the the observing certificate program has a master list of required targets with 110 entries. Okay. So for the certificate, there's effectively, there's 110 pairs. So you, you have to see 220 stars Okay. Uh, in that program. Okay. But but again, many of those systems are triples or quads or more. So we've provided a supplement. And in the supplement, we talk about the other stars that are in those systems. So we want you to see a pair, but there it might be in a triple. It might be oh, a okay. quad. So people might in their logbook say there's two obvious stars but i see a faint one nearby might be part of it might be related bonus marks (laughs) you know they've maybe seen the a and the b and the c star okay uh so the supplement supports all that that you can determine if you're seeing more of the official members of those multi-star systems Okay. Of that of that list, the total number that's on that, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think it's in the order of three or four hundred. Okay. Yeah. So it's oh. yeah. So there's 110 required if someone wishes to make the submission for a certificate, but then there's there's a lot of other doubles that you've you've included should people wish to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, that's what I often do when I'm looking at a, a new double is I'll look closely at all. I'll try to see the main sort of suggested target. Often yeah. it, it's a suggestion from uh, the Double Stars book by Sissy Hawes. 
but then I'll just, I'll start cranking up the magnification. I'm looking for stars that are really close to the other ones. I'll go up and down the magnification, see what I can see. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and often I'll, I'll see other stars nearby compellingly close again. Mm -hmm. And, and then I'll, um, I'll, uh, you know, get those into my logbook. I'll look them up. Cool. Yeah, and I, I like the way that you've uh, laid out the uh, the programs. Pretty nice. So, does somebody does some somebody has to be a member of the RASC to get the certificate? But can non members um, get a copy of the list that just want to work through it for fun? Yes, that's true of any of the programs. That if somebody just wants a list to work through, visit rasc.ca and download the materials and the list, and you've got now a a checklist that you can use that's cool objects to look at. So anybody can use those, those lists. That's how I started observing double stars. I, I was using the summer and the winter uh, cool double star list from Sky and Telescope magazine. And then I started building my own lists and making hybrids and so on. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks so much. Sorry to jump in on that. Back to Shane, your question about the types. Yeah. So we've got optical. The other main type is physical double stars. And these are described, if you read a double star book, these are described as systems that are physically connected, which is a weird way to describe it because they are not physically touching one another. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but what we mean by that is that they're close enough that their gravity is affecting one another. So we're not talking light years anymore. We're talking about maybe astronomical units that that's the scale used in solar systems. Maybe the same distance uh, of Neptune from our sun might be how two stars in a system, how far apart two stars are in a system from one another. Uh, within physical systems, you can have things that are just maybe stars in an open cluster and they're all traveling through space together. They have the same vector. They're going in the same direction. If you look at them long enough, you'd see the same common proper motion or CPM. But if repeated observations reveal that one star is moving in a curved arc or path around another star, that's a binary. So we, uh, double star aficionados tend to use the term binary to explicitly refer to a star orbiting another star. Okay. Right on. Well, that's, um, um, you, you know, I think that that's a great way to, to, um, you know, I guess split them up <laughs> pun intended, maybe actually, no, it wasn't, it wasn't intended, but <laughs> lucky, lucky, uh, word choice there, but snare drum. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, is there anything else in terms of categories or is it mostly just the, uh, you know, kind of the optical alignment, meaning they're really not, uh, you know, a, a system interacting with each other. They just, from our point in the, the universe, it looks like, you know, they're quite close. And then there's the, the physical connection. Is there any other uh, categories of doubles that you want to highlight there? It, there are a bunch of subcategories like eclipsing binaries uh, yeah. and uh, things like that, but um that's a, a bit of a rabbit hole. Okay. Uh, again, for me, I, I, I don't, I don't care too much about 
what type of system it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they look great in the eyepiece. I I look at uh, I just enjoy the view and so on. Again, a lot of times when I'm observing a new double star, I don't I don't know what kind of system it is that I'm getting into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I observe it. Now I I also do sci- like uh, citizen science work with some double stars. Okay, where I am trying to measure them. And in that case, I'm I'm specifically targeting binary systems. Okay, okay. And do you use an astrometric eyepiece, or how do you measure uh, the doubles? I've used a lot of different methods. I do have an astrometric eyepiece. I have the Celestron Micro Guide. Yep. Uh, that's how I learned to measure double stars. But now my preferred method is. Um, uh, imaging. So I'll, I'll just use my DSLR and I'll shoot, shoot, uh, lots and lots of images. I'll shoot images of calibration stars that are in the field and then my primary target. And then I analyze that data, reduce it. I'll do plate solving as well to corroborate my numbers. And, and I try to measure the two key things about a binary system, uh, that can change over time. And that's the position angle. Mm-hmm. The angle of the B star to the A star, and then the separation in arc seconds. And in theory, those numbers change over time. And as we collect more and more data about how the B star is moving around the primary star, we can start to calculate the orbit. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Um, I've always been intrigued by the measurement of doubles, um, particularly like the neglected doubles from the uh, Washington Double Star uh, database. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's fascinating. I, I've never, I've never gotten serious. I considered an astrometric eyepiece to to do the measuring, and then good luck. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like that's a real pain, and um, so I stayed away from that. And then I, I, you know, the whole photography thing is just a, you know, another level of observing that. Uh, you know, I just haven't gone down either, just due to the complexity involved there. But yeah, so the so, reason I said good luck there is it, uh, probably nobody would be able to buy an astrometric eyepiece now. Yeah, they're hard to find. They've you been know. discontinued. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you really need, yeah. If you don't find a used one or, or, you know, leftover stock somewhere on eBay, you're, you're probably not finding one. Yeah. 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 Um, so what about, um, just any, you know, you mentioned, uh, the magnification, you know, aspects. So if you're going to, um, you know, begin observing doubles, start maybe with lower power and then increase the power. Do you have any other tips or tricks for observing doubles? Telescope collimation is important. Mm. Uh, that that's a rabbit hole there. The, yep. You know, if you don't know how to do it, leave it alone, um, <laughs> uh, or you know, re- carefully study it. Uh, but ideally, you want your optics. So we're talking about scopes where there's stuff moving. Uh, so SCT telescopes or Newtonians. Uh, you, you want to make sure your calib- uh, your collimation is spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you're you, do, an interesting thing about double star work, it, or double, I shouldn't use the work word, sorry. Uh, the, an interesting thing is that you're observing maybe at extremely high magnifications. You know how we tell people, you know, the those 
department store telescopes with the label on the side that says view, view the skies at 600 power we tell people run for the hills don't buy those telescopes uh but but double star observers you're allowed to do that you can go to crazy high powers yes it will soften the view but if your scope's well collimated and so on that might pull out a super faint fuzzy uh dim companion so a lot of times i'm working at 400 or 500 magnification uh in wow. some cases yeah Oof. what telescope are you using for that uh whatever whatever i have um <laughs> <laughs> so i my my that telescope that i bought in 1990 is an 8-inch uh, celestron okay ct but i've i've got uh, uh doublers for it and now i've now i've got a Bader planetarium zoom eyepiece. So at eight millimeter with the two X converter in it, uh, I, it's that's like crazy high power. I'm up into the four hundreds, I think. Mm. So sometimes I do that, um, and then I'll slowly step down in the power. Uh, now, now I've spotted a star. I know where it is, and I go back to a low power, and I go, there it is, right there. I didn't see it the first time, but now I now I know where it is. I can see it, so that's sort of neat. Uh, another tip is don't don't beat yourself up. Uh, uh, view a double if it's a tight double, and you don't split it. Well, that's what you write in your logbook. On this evening, I could not split this pair. I tried. I tried all these magnifications, didn't work, and maybe it's just. Bad, bad seeing maybe the elevation was too low you were looking at it too late or too early maybe it's a bad season so mm -hmm. it just goes those things just go into my view again list and i'll i'll hit them again later i i was very surprised while i was up at killarney that i got a sub one arc second split i wasn't expecting that wow but i i split a pair at point z uh, 0 0.8 arc seconds Oof. so i've got maybe 20 or 25 sub one arc second splits in my career wow so yeah, so geez. that was fun to to get that i i wasn't wasn't expecting that yeah, very um, impressive so that those are those are a few things work slowly carefully don't rush um see what you can see and and there'll be a lot that you gotta you gotta go at again Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Loved your comment too about, you know, sometimes you see it with really high magnification and then you back off the magnification and lo and behold, there it is. You just needed to sort of see it for the first time. And, and, uh, I remember Polaris the first time I split that yeah. it was a little <laughs> challenging and yeah. now it doesn't matter. You know, I, I can use uh, you know, fairly small aperture and just, oh yeah, there's, there's the B star. And, you know, once you see it, it just makes it a lot easier the next time. So, mm -hmm. but you know, I've dominated this part of the podcast, Chris. So why don't I turn it over to you now? <laughs> no, not at fascinating all. for me. This has been awesome. Yeah, no, I I know uh, this is right up your alley, but maybe just to just to wrap things up, we have a few minutes left. Um, like maybe uh, you you can just give us uh, you know a couple a couple of your uh, of your favorite doubles. I only have what two minutes? What? <laughs> <laughs> we have a couple minutes for a couple doubles. <laughs> we'll call that the double double. <laughs> <laughs> so so springtime, Cor Corcoroli. 
in uh, Canis Venetici. Oh, okay. And and Phi Tori. Phi Tori has amazing colors. Okay. We've talked about a good summer one, Alberio and the double double. We talked yeah. about as well. Mm-hmm. Here's one that maybe works for naked eye and binoculars. 30, 31, 32, or Omicron Signi. Okay. Uh, if you got a dark, clear night, you can see uh, one or two of those stars with your eyeball. But that's a super wide. This is one of these things where some people go, that's not a double star. Um, so they're so far wide apart. Yeah. Uh, but you use binoculars on that one. They look lovely, different colors. That's one of the few that I can say I've seen off the top of my head. Oh, good. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah, I love that one. In the fall or the autumn, uh, 59 Andromedae is is quite nice. And another uh, system with incredible colors is WZ Cassiopeiae. So, oh, yeah. So that's a, a great one. Nice. And then in the wintertime, if anybody goes out and observes in, in the winter, uh, it, of course, the trapezium in the middle of Messier 42, mm-hmm. that, that's like the, the prize. <laughs> that, that whole nebula is fantastic, of course. Uh, but there, there's an instance where you start cranking up the zoom or the magnification in a telescope, and immediately apparent is the four stars mm-hmm. of the trapezium. But if you have good conditions, stable air, you, you start pulling out a, a fifth, a sixth, maybe a seventh star. Nice. And in the winter, I also have another favorite. Lots of people know about this. The winter, win, it's often called winter Alberio. But it's, if you're looking for it on a chart, it, it's got some weird designations. So it's 145 Canis Major. Uh, it's also known as H3945. I think that's a Herschel H3945 star. Hmm. Uh, or another designation is HR2764. 2764. So that's a fantastic star. That If you're star hopping to it, that's a little bit of a challenge. But when you get there, wow. <laughs> it, it's great. Awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, do you do you have anything, any other questions, Shane, that have occurred to you before we uh, wrap this one up? No, no, this has been outstanding. I've really enjoyed the conversation, Blake. Um, you know, as stated, double star observing is something I do pretty regularly, and I'm fascinated with the list you made. And uh, thank you for the conversation today. This has been great. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Blake. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been listening. Um, we're always excited to get your observing emails. Maybe we, we can get some more uh, double star observations from folks. Send those to actualastronomy at gmail.com. And uh, we're on Patreon. I appreciate anybody's uh, support who's willing to provide support through that means. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.